I'm going to ask you to turn in God's Word with me this evening to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you this evening. That's page 666 in my Bible, if that'll help you any. That's an interesting number. Nehemiah chapter 1. And then if you'll turn to a couple of verses found in the book of Jude tonight. Over next to the very last part of the New Testament, the little one chapter book of Jude. I'd like to call our attention to a couple of verses and an expression in one of them there. And then as the Lord leads us, we'll make reference to some other verses found in Luke and then some in the Gospel of John. I'm going to try to keep my eye on my watch a little better than I did last night. You noticed I take my watch off, and then I usually take my glasses off, so I guess uh, it's a good excuse any. I couldn't find my watch last night, but uh, you folks listened so well and was so receptive and made it so easy to preach, I didn't want to quit. Yesterday, uh, there was a wonderful sense of the Lord's presence in this room. In the morning service and again last evening. And I often quote, I think I did last evening, that verse where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I understand him to say to us literally where he's Lord, where he's not hindered, where he's free to be who he is, there's liberty. And I'm grateful for that sense again tonight of his presence and the good music, the fellowship, and we're grateful God's permitted us to be in his presence again this evening. It's a joy to welcome you and a special joy to welcome all the preachers that's with us tonight. We're glad you've taken time to be with us. I preached yesterday morning a message out of a series that some of the questions out of the Bible, I entitled it, That's a Good Question. And we took that question where the disciples... In a moment of frustration, they awake him out of his sleep and they ask him, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? We ask the question, does Jesus care? <clears throat> I was mindful of this morning of his presence and his help and I wanted to, acknowledge that in my time with him, and I, I do not claim to hear God audibly. Please don't miss what I'm saying. But he said something in my own spirit when I was thanking him for his caring for us. He said, I have a question for you. Do you care? I couldn't get away from that from early this morning. He seemed to say, I do. My question is, do you? Do we care? In the meeting north of where I live a while back, 
And I preached, attempted to, the scriptures that I'm going to be referring to in a moment. Where Jude said, some have compassion, making a difference. Dear brother, after service, or after my part of it, he said to his, the people, he's the preacher. He said, I've got to say a word. He said, I want to say to you what I said to God. He knelt there, and there was a brokenness in the service. And he said, I asked God to forgive me for not caring. I've gotten, as he put it, mechanical. He said, I'm like a machine. He said, I went to see my brother on the way to the meeting tonight. And uh, he said, Brother Hurd had mentioned the other night, comparing the looking at the contrast of our Lord and a Pharisee, and when someone failed a Pharisee, he was moved to temper. But when someone failed our Lord, he was moved to tears. And he said, I wasn't moved to tears with my brother this afternoon. I was moved to temper. I got him angry at him. And he said... I apologize to God. He said, I'm going to see him. The next evening, his brother was in the church, in the service. Came forward. God saved him. And he gave a word of testimony. He said, my brother came by last night. He said, asked me to forgive him. And said, when his tears started. And he said, brother, I got right with God tonight, and I came by to tell you. I care, and I want to care more than I ever have. God, here's what I'm telling you. That preacher called me a while back, and he was still grateful, of course, what God did in that meeting. He said, Brother Hurt, my brother died this afternoon. Dropped dead at uh, General Motors' plant where he works. A heart attack suddenly. He said he's been a, a good witness for Jesus these last months. I saw the preacher the other day, and he said, Brother Hurd, I'm, I'm working at trying to keep a heart that cares. I want us to take a little inventory tonight. I want us to compare our hearts, as it were, with the heart of a man who obviously cared. Nehemiah chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislun that twentieth years I was in Shushan the palace that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem, all souls broken down, the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, great and terrible God that keepeth covenant mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. And have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which... Thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I'll scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, 
Though there are of you cast out to the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them to the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attended to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now we'll be back there in just a moment if you'll just hold your place. Look with me in the very last part of the New Testament, <clears throat> the little book of Jude. And uh, I just want to lift out an expression. I'm not uh, attempting an, an exposition from here. And I am aware that I'm lifted out of its sitting. But I'd like to just lift out that uh, expression in verse 22, making a difference. Jude says, some have compassion, making a difference. I was in a meeting in an area that I go to annually, have been since uh, 1976. I've been in this meeting every year, and I have the privilege, the Lord willing, uh, uh, two weeks from, uh, it'll be from last night, I'll be back there. And uh, I speak uh, in morning and evening services. It's sort of, they call it a Bible conference. Preachers come from uh, three or four neighboring states. There's a lot of preachers there. And he usually, after the service, uh, especially the morning service, he, he has a uh, little time that they, uh, they ask the speakers questions. And so in that morning session, a uh, young preacher said, uh, Brother Hurt, you emphasized, and I was in those morning services on, as I said last evening, the people God uses to make a difference. What kind of people are the people of God that God uses in a community to make a difference? And I'd made reference to this text that morning. And his question was, Brother Hurt, what are you talking about when you talk about compassion? And then he went ahead to say you... You're talking about something more than just pity, aren't you? You're talking about something deeper than just sorrow, aren't you? He said, if compassion makes a difference, just what is compassion? How do we, as he put it, how do we go about making it a part of our life? It's obvious in our text that Jude says there's some who make a difference. My understanding of what Jude is talking about, and especially in other places of the Scripture, it is much deeper than just mere pity. I could pity someone and never make any difference in their life. I could feel sorry for someone and never affect them whatsoever. What I'm talking about moves a person, involves a person, and causes a person to so identify that the person that they are expressing compassion to, they are never the same. Word was used so often about our Lord when He was here in flesh. He didn't just say He had compassion, He was always moved with it. Something within Him moved Him and motivated Him. And when someone put a question to Him about caring for someone... His response back to that professional, he pictured two people going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. 
And he has the religious community, parts of them, passing a man in need. Even the leaders of their religion. But they didn't make any difference. Surely the priest must have had a little pity for the poor fellow. There he was, half dead, stripped and, and robbed and left there. But he didn't make a bit of difference. They're religious. And then he has one of the officers of the church come by. And he, the Bible said he looked on him. He couldn't plead ignorance. He saw him. But he didn't make any difference. And the Lord said, a certain Samaritan. One to the crowd that he was talking to, a Samaritan was off limits to them. They limited their love. They loved only so far. They only loved a certain group. And, and they had nothing to do with this person he's using that's, uh, that he identifies himself with. And he said, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Who made the difference? Well, it wasn't just the religious crowd. We can dot every I, cross every T, do everything right, but still never make a difference. Community could care less about us. Never affect them. But our Lord says when he, when he saw him, he went where he was at, and it was costly what he did. And even when he took him to an end, he... He paid for his upkeep and said, I'll be back. And if he owes you anything, I'll take care of it. Jude says, there's some that make a difference. I promise you, you go around some churches that's making a difference, a lasting difference. Whatever else you find going on, you'll find that somebody is caring for people. Somebody has a broken heart. Somebody is caring enough to do what Nehemiah did. And there's four evidences. And I'd like for us, as the Lord helps us tonight, uh, I'm taking a little inventory. I already have, and I'm coming back to it tonight. And I'm asking myself, Wilbur Hood, do you care enough to make a difference? Here's one man, not the entire crowd, just one man. He's not a prophet, not even a preacher. He's a layman. But he so cared that God used this man to bring victory and blessing back to the people of God. But it did not start in the heart of a group. It started with one person. Nehemiah, he has a brother and some of his brethren. They've made this long journey back to their homeland. And when they come back, he, he immediately he begins to, to inquire. In verses 1, 2, and 3, that's the first evidence that I see in this man's life that he cared. He, he began to inquire. Verse 2, he said, I ask them. I've observed this, people who really care. They don't just hang out a sign and say to the community, y'all come. They go asking questions. They go out looking. They go out inquiring. My heart was moved. I said to our brother sitting there a moment, uh, a moment ago, I said, my heart was moved last night, and I won't embarrass him when, when the pastor's son came up here last night and stood here and told us about the sur after service yesterday. He said, how did he put it? He said, that's not his custom of visiting hospitals all the time. But when he heard of that young man who's involved in that accident, 
found himself after no longer prospering. Led him to the Lord. I tell you, as he told that last night, I sat there and I said, oh God. Oh, I sensed his heart. I sensed as he talked to us uh, about just walking the room, talking to that person and the Spirit of God coming and him getting saved and the obvious change that came. But you see, if we lose compassion, oh, we can be preached to and scolded and everything in the world to try to get us to ask a question and go across the street to a neighbor and yet we won't be motivated to do it because it's compassion that moves us. And here's a person. He inquired. He began to ask questions. So verses 1, 2, and 3, I I see the first evidence of Nehemiah's compassion, and God uh, enabled him to make such a difference. He he cared enough to inquire. Verses 4 through 7, he cares enough to identify. After he hears the sad report, he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. I used to preach a sermon some... Oh, 25, 30 years ago, I preached it at Brother A.C.'s place. Brother, I used to entitle the sermon, uh, Things Are in Bad Shape Back Home. He asked his brother, What would you find back there? And he said, When I heard the report of how it is back in my homeland, Oh, he said, If you let me paraphrase it, he said, It broke my heart. Walls are down. The gates are burned. Wall speaks of protection, and now there's no protection. The enemy just overruns the people, and gate speaks of praise. Nobody has any victory praising the Lord anymore. They're defeated. Nehemiah said, when I heard that, it broke my heart. Nehemiah identified, of course, first with their suffering. But more than that, he identified with their sins. He's talking to God. Look at verse 6. He's saying to the Lord, let thine ear now be attentive. Lord, would you open your eyes? Would you behold us? Would you hear the prayer of your servant? Lord, I'm praying it. It's a constant prayer. It's day and night before you. He said, Lord, I'm confessing the sins of the children of Israel. But note, which we have sinned. Anytime. You hear me saying, God, they've sinned. Them sinners. You can mark it down. There's no compassion in my heart. Compassion causes you to identify with the person. Compassion calls you to weep with that person. Compassion calls you to identify not only with the brokenness and, and, and the suffering of them, but here he is saying, we've sinned against thee. They're a thousand miles from him. And yet, because he loves them, they're his people. And he said, we have sinned. As I look at Nehemiah's life, I ask myself, Preacher, do you care enough to inquire? Preacher, do you care enough to identify? How long has it been since you put yourself in some suffering person's place? How long has it been since you tried to identify with someone that's broken and empty and lost? Not only do I see that he cared enough to inquire and enough to identify, verses 8 through 10, he cared enough to intercede. Oh, what a prayer, what a model, what an encouragement when you study this man's prayer life. 
stopped and looked at your chart back there. As I said last evening, I am blessed and encouraged as preacher shared with me yesterday about uh, the new emphasis on intercessory prayer. Telling me how many has already signed up. Oh, listen. Uh, people that really become an intercessor, that's an expression of compassion. Oh, you see, our, if there's no compassion, our prayer is just limited to personal needs. Intercession is the highest form of prayer. That's the work that's unfinished that our Lord's involved in. He ever lives to intercede for us. He's our intercessor there. And He sent someone down to be an intercessor here for us. But the Holy Spirit, we can't pray without Him. But He doesn't do our praying without us. And a person has to have compassion in order to give himself to go somewhere alone, take an hour or whatever you're taking in those slots, and go there and stay before God and lift up those needs, those names, and say, oh, God, oh, God. I was at a place, oh, been some time ago now, and uh, I, I was preaching in the area, and I drove to another place, and uh, I didn't really expect to see the preacher. He's busy, has a large ministry. And uh, I visit, and I, the secretary, the receptionist there, I told her who I was, and I just like to look around. I said, I know about the ministry, and read a book about what God did here some years ago in a special way, and, and this has been a help to me. And she said, would you like to meet the preacher? And I said, see around? She said, sure. She called, and he was gracious, and he gave me, oh, quite a bit of time of his busy time. And uh, it was on a Monday, and he, he was telling me about the blessings of the day before. He called it picking up the spoil. He said, God, by his grace, enabled us to pick up a whole lot of spoils of his blessings yesterday. He said, as you know, you gather the spoils after the battle's over. And then he said, something's helpful to me. He said, when Paul told us to put on the whole armor so that we could be a fit soldier, you'd think he's telling us, you know, go out now and get in the battle. But that's not what he says. After we've, we've dressed for battle, he says, now go in the prayer room with all praying. Prayer and supplication in the Spirit. See, prayer is the warfare. A lot of us don't even show up for the battle. We don't pick up spoils till the battle has been won. And he said, and he pointed, he said, that's the latest edition of these buildings. He said, there's a secret, Brother Hurt, right over there it is. And I looked to where I could see and had a big sign on top of the building. And there, as you went in, it says, Inter Intercessory Prayer Ministry. He said, somebody prays in there all the time. And he said, God lets us just pick up the spoils in the meetings, and God blesses his people. I went over to their bookstore and was looking around, and a couple came out, and I, they, they, they started talking. We, they'd been over there, man, this while. They'd retired and moved to that state from another state, just involved themselves in that prayer ministry. And they said when we first started, we wondered, you know, could we pray an hour? Uh, you know, he said, ten minutes, most other... But they wasn't braggadocious about it. Uh, he was in there before she was. He said, now, she, she can't get done in an hour. <laughs> and God here, heaven was all over them. And they said, it's wonderful to be a part of something God's doing. 
But you see, I'm asking myself a question. Wilbur Hurt, do you care? How long has it been since you inquired? How long has it been since you identified? How long has it been since you interceded? How long has it been since you involved yourself in, in, in someone else's life in a meaningful way for God's glory and their good? And then that last verse, he, he tells us that he said, I was, past this. I was the king's cupbearer, so I used that for the last one. Not only did he care enough to inquire, he cared enough to identify, he cared enough to intercede, but he cared enough to intervene. He involved himself. He left that position, a very comfortable position. I mean, Nehemiah somebody. Nehemiah could have said when he asked his brother and those others that question, and when they told him that sad story, he could have said, oh, I'm sorry I asked. But he didn't. It moved him. And, and, and compassion makes a difference. And he left that position of comfort and that very prestigious position he is in and headed back to a place that was in ruins. He intervened. He involved himself. Back to where I started. Jesus said that Samaritan, when he saw him, he went where he was at. And he made the difference. A preacher called me the other day, and he, he'd heard me talking like this. He said, Preacher, I committed myself to try to make a difference. He said, Can you help me? What are the steps that I, what, what must I do now for this to become a reality? And I said, The first step, of course, is to acknowledge your need. God always meets us at a point of need. There's an ego about us and an arrogancy and self-sufficiency. We don't want any others, any, anyone else to think we have a need. And the first step, of course, is say, Lord, that's where I'm at. I've lost something, Lord. Or as that dear man of God stood up and said, I don't think I even care anymore. Oh, someone said, and someone spoke negatively of him. I, I said, I don't. I admire his honesty. I often say God does business with honest people. But there's a pride about us, an arrogancy about us. We don't want anyone else to know we have a need. God knows us. And we know us. I was reading today in John chapter number 7. And, and I just want to mention, I have no sermon on it. I have just, it just gripped my own heart. And our Lord stood there and that last day, and he lifted up his voice and, and really got the attention of that audience. And they was going through a little empty ritual. And he was saying, in essence, listen, that points to reality. I'm the reality. If you're thirsty, come to me. I can give you a drink. And then out of your innermost being, out of your belly, there will be rivers, plural, rivers of living water. It can flow to others. Then he said he was talking about the Spirit. White comes from us within. The Holy Spirit's the one that's within us. Our bodies is his temple. But he hadn't been given, John said, at that particular time because Jesus hadn't been glorified. But then you move on over. The next time it talks about him being glorified is in chapter 12. He said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he said, Verily, verily, I say, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, brings forth much fruit. See what Jesus was saying. 
Paul picked up on that. And Paul said to a group that he was ministering life to, Paul says, death worketh in us, but life in you. And Jesus said, before the Holy Spirit can be rivers of living water, death has to take place. The principle of the cross has to take place. We have to die first. And then when we die, the Holy Spirit can issue rivers of living water through us. And the love of God shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. But Paul says there's that process of dying. There's that cross principle. Our ambitions, selfish ambitions. I'm not against ambition. God's not against us having a goal and being ambitious, but He is against those ego, selfish ambition that we have sometimes, and we have to just put it in the dust and say, Lord, I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. Whatever you want to do, Lord, that's all right. And then the Holy Spirit, He, he wasn't yet given to indwell when He spoke those words. But you don't need to wait 10 days. You don't need to tarry in Jerusalem. He's here. Jesus is the source. Everything, everything that we need and have, it comes from Jesus. He said, you come to me. And when you come to him in salvation, Jesus, the gift of the Father that he prayed, the Holy Spirit instead of him, he's here. He comes in us now. And when we die to self and let him fill us, then he, the rivers of living water... I mean, it's not something you can work up. He, if we die to self and trust Him and walk with Him and stay full of the Word, His Spirit will fill us. And then compassion, love, if you please. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. You say, that's Paul loving Christ. Well, first it was Christ loving Paul. Paul said, we love Him because He first loved us, John said. Jesus wrote to a good church, a working church, Orthodox church, fundamental, if you please, and had, it, had everything right. But he said to him, there's somewhat I have against you. That disturbs me when I read that. He said, you've left your first love. Now, if you read that with an understanding that Jesus was saying to that church, you don't love me, I think you've misunderstood. That's not what he said. He didn't say you don't love me, period. He, he said it's... He related to the first love. Would you let me paraphrase it? He said, you don't love me like you did at the first. It was a time you loved me in a way that you don't love me now. And he said, you need to remember how that was like, what that was like and you need to turn back to it. Well, he said, I, I'll move the candlestick. See, that's, what, that's the testimony. That's the influence. That's what makes an impact. That's what makes a difference. If we're not careful... He removes that which he used to make a difference. And he said, you need to come back and love me. I wonder tonight, would you be willing like the grain of wheat, grain of corn, fall in the ground and just die and say, Lord, I listened in the music tonight. Lordship was talked about. These dear folks that blessed us a moment ago, didn't I hear, did I hear correctly he was talking about Springs of living water. Did you mention that in the song? Oh, that life coming through God's people and reaching people. Oh, but Paul says before we can minister life to others, death has to work in us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed in God's people in the moment of quietness and prayer. All over the room tonight, you've been a very easy audience to speak to. God bless you. I appreciate you praying for me. I I'm grateful to you preachers. God bless all of you preachers that are here with us tonight. I've talked to my own heart. I, I said to you, 
I couldn't get away from what he said to me this morning. I was thanking him for caring. No, as clearly as he's ever said, he said, do you care? Can I be real personal? You know what I said back to him? I said, Lord, I want to. I want to care. Help me to care, Lord. See, that's where it starts. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, you can come to me and you can drink. And then out of that inner, the inner being, out of the belly, the word there is innermost being. Why did he say that? Because that's where the Holy Spirit is. The blessing comes from him. And that's where he dwells. That living water, that which ministers life to other people will come from the people of God when we're willing to let him be Lord. Now some are talking to him. I, I know you can do business there in the pew, but there's just something about coming forward when God is speaking. I don't understand that. The preacher's been a help to me, and he often says this. When you make just that public commitment, it just sort of clinches that commitment. It just, it just sort of makes it more real. I'm going to ask you after I pray, and we'll stand in a moment, and they'll come, and pastor will be coming in a moment. You won't just come talk to God. Many of us did last night and yesterday morning. Uh, don't miss God tonight. God's in this room. He's talking to a number of us. If you're here unsaved tonight, pastor will have a word after me, but God loves you, and he loves you so much that Jesus, his son, was given for you and paid your debt. And salvation is the gift of God. You're in this room tonight, and you have a desire to know, know the Lord and stay out of hell and go to heaven. That desire, that, that interest you have comes from God. And no one will put you on the spot. Someone will help you here. And you can know for sure when you leave this room that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You're away from God, come back to Him. He wants life to minister through you to someone. And you may be the only one that that person will get the message of life, the living waters from. And it'll happen when we really give ourselves to Him in a way that He can fill us and cause compassion to come through us. Father, make it easy for us to obey you tonight. Give us grace, courage, and faith just to say yes as you're talking. We pray in his worthy name. Amen. Stand with us, please. On the first verse, you want to do business with God? I'm going to do that. I want to kneel out of gratitude, and I want to ask him to help me. You want to join us tonight? Just come right on. Here's plenty of room tonight. Don't miss God. While we wait, you come.